Chapter Thirteen, Part One of Principles of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Principles of Geology by Charles Lyell. Chapter Thirteen, Part One Uniformity in the Series of Past Changes in the Animate and Inanimate World. Supposed alternate periods of repose and disorder. Observed facts in which this doctrine has originated. These may be explained by supposing a uniform and uninterrupted series of changes. Threefold consideration of this subject. First, in reference to the living creation, extinction of species, and origin of new animals and plants. Secondly, in reference to the changes produced in the Earth's crust by the continuance of subterranean movements in certain areas, and their transference, after long periods, to new areas. Thirdly, in reference to the laws which govern the formation of fossiliferous strata, and the shifting of the areas of sedimentary deposition. On the combined influence of all these modes and causes of change, in producing breaks and chasms in the chain of records, concluding remarks on the identity of the ancient and present system of terrestrial changes. Origin of the Doctrine of Alternate Periods of Repose and Disorder It has been truly observed that when we arrange the fossiliferous formations in chronological order, they constitute a broken and defective series of monuments. We pass without any intermediate gradations from systems of strata which are horizontal to other systems which are highly inclined, from rocks of peculiar mineral composition to others which have a character wholly distinct, from one assemblage of organic remains to another, in which frequently all the species and most of the genera are different. These violations of continuity are so common as to constitute the rule rather than the exception, and they have been considered by many geologists as conclusive in favor of sudden revolutions in the inanimate and animate world. According to the speculations of some writers, there have been in the past history of the planet alternate periods of tranquility and convulsion the former enduring for ages and resembling that state of things now experienced by man, the other brief, transient, and paroxysmal, giving rise to new mountains, seas, and valleys, annihilating one set of organic beings and ushering in the creation of another. It will be the object of the present chapter to demonstrate that these theoretical views are not borne out by a fair interpretation of geological monuments. It is true that in the solid framework of the globe we have a chronological chain of natural records, and that many links in this chain are wanting, but a careful consideration of all the phenomena will lead to the opinion that the series was originally defective, that it has been rendered still more so by time that a great part of what remains is inaccessible to man, and even of that fraction which is accessible, nine-tenths 
are to this day unexplored how the facts may be explained by assuming a uniform series of changes the readiest way perhaps of persuading the reader that we may dispense with great and sudden revolutions in the geological order of events is by showing him how a regular and uninterrupted series of changes in the animate and inanimate world may give rise to such breaks in the sequence and such unconformability of stratified rocks are as usually thought to imply convulsions and catastrophes it is scarcely necessary to state that the order of events thus assumed to occur for the sake of illustration must be in harmony with all the conclusions legitimately drawn by geologists from the structure of the earth and must be equally in accordance with the changes observed by man to be now going on in the living as well as in the inorganic creation it may be necessary in the present state of science to supply some part of the assumed course of nature hypothetically but if so this must be done without any violation of probability and always consistently with the analogy of what is known both of the past and present economy of our system although the discussion of so comprehensive a subject must carry the beginner far beyond his depth it will also it is hoped stimulate his curiosity and prepare him to read some elementary treatise on geology with advantage and teach him the bearing on that science of the changes now in progress on the earth at the same time it may enable him the better to understand the intimate connection between the second and third books of this work the former of which is occupied with the changes in the inorganic the latter with those of the organic creation in pursuance then of the plan above proposed i shall consider in this chapter first what may be the course of fluctuation in the animate world secondly the mode in which contemporaneous subterranean movements affect the earth's crust and thirdly the laws which regulate the deposition of sediment uniformity of change considered first in reference to the living creation first in regard to the vicissitudes of the living creation all are agreed that the sedimentary strata found in the earth's crust are divisible into a variety of groups more or less dissimilar in their organic remains and mineral composition the conclusion universally drawn from the study and comparison of these fossiliferous groups is this that at successive periods distinct tribes of animals and plants have inhabited the land and waters and that the organic types of the newer formations are more analogous to species now existing than those of more ancient rocks if we then turn to the present state of the animate creation and inquire whether it has now become fixed and stationary we discover that on the contrary is in a state of continual flux that there are many causes in action which tend to the extinction of species and which are conclusive against the doctrine of their unlimited durability but natural history has been successfully cultivated 
for so short a period that a few examples only of local and perhaps but one or two of absolute extirpation can as yet be proved and these only where the interference of man has become conspicuous it will nevertheless appear evident from the facts and arguments detailed in the third book from the thirty-seventh to the forty-second chapters inclusive that man is not the only exterminating agent and that independently of his intervention the annihilation of species is promoted by the multiplication and gradual diffusion of every animal or plant it will also appear that every alteration in the physical geography and climate of the globe cannot fail to have the same tendency if we proceed still farther and inquire whether new species are substituted from time to time for those which die out and whether there are certain laws appointed by the author of nature to regulate such new creations we find that the period of human observation is as yet too short to afford data for determining so weighty a question all that can be done is to show that the successive introduction of new species may be a constant part of the economy of the terrestrial system without our having any right to expect that we should be in possession of direct proof of the fact the appearance again and again of new species may easily have escaped detection since the numbers of known animals and plants have augmented so rapidly within the memory of persons now living as to have doubled in some classes and quadrupled in others it will also be remarked in the sequel book three chapter forty three that it must always be more easy if species proceeded originally from single stocks to prove that one which formerly abounded in a given district has ceased to be than that another has been called into being for the first time if therefore there be as yet only one or two unequivocal instances of extinction namely those of the dodo and solitaire see chapter forty one it is scarcely reasonable as yet to hope that we should be cognizant of a single instance of the first appearance of a new species recent origin of man and gradual approach in the tertiary fossils of successive periods from an extinct to the recent fauna the geologist however if required to advance some fact which may lend countenance to the opinion that in the most modern times that is to say after the greater part of the existing fauna and flora were established on the earth there has still been a new species superadded may point to man himself as furnishing the required illustration for a man must be regarded by the geologist as a creature of yesterday not merely in reference to the past history of the organic world but also in relation to that particular state of the animate creation of which he forms a part the comparatively modern introduction of the human race is proved by the absence of the remains of man and his works not only from all strata containing a certain proportion of fossil shells of extinct species but even from a large part of the newest strata 
in which all the fossil individuals are referable to species still living. To enable the reader to appreciate the full force of this evidence, I shall give a slight sketch of the information obtained from the newer strata respecting fluctuations in the animate world, in times immediately antecedent to the appearance of man. In tracing the series of fossiliferous formations from the more ancient to the more modern, the first deposits in which we meet with assemblages of organic remains, having a near analogy to the fauna of certain parts of the globe in our own time, are those commonly called tertiary. Even in the Eocene, or oldest subdivision of these tertiary formations, some few of the testacea belong to existing species, although almost all of them, and apparently all the associated vertebrata, are now extinct. These Eocene strata are succeeded by a great number of more modern deposits, which depart gradually in the character of their fossils from the Eocene type, and approach more and more to that of the living creation. In the present state of science, it is chiefly by the aid of shells that we are enabled to arrive at these results. For all classes, the testacea are the most generally diffused in a fossil state, and may be called the metals principally employed by nature in recording the chronology of past events. In the Miocene deposits, which are next in succession to the Eocene, we begin to find a considerable number, although still a minority, of recent species intermixed with some fossils common to the preceding epoch. We then arrive at the Pliocene strata, in which species now contemporary with man begin to preponderate, and in the newest of which nine-tenths of the fossils agree with species still inhabiting the neighboring sea. In this passing, from the older to the newer members of the tertiary system, we meet with many chasms, but none which separate entirely, by a broad line of demarcation, one state of the organic world from another. There are no signs of an abrupt termination of one fauna and flora, and the starting into life of new and wholly distinct forms. Although we are far from being able to demonstrate geologically an insensible transition from the Eocene to the Miocene, or even from the latter to the recent fauna, yet the more we enlarge and perfect our general survey, the more nearly do we approximate to such a continuous series, and the more gradually we are conducted from times when many of the genera and nearly all the species were extinct, to those in which scarcely a single species flourished, which we do not know to exist at present. Dr. A. Filippi, indeed, after an elaborate comparison of the fossil tertiary shells of Sicily, with those now living in the Mediterranean, announces as the result of his examination that there are strata in that island which attest a very gradual passage from a period when only thirteen in a hundred of the shells were like the species now living in the sea, to an era when the recent species had attained a proportion of ninety-five in a hundred. There is, therefore, evidence, he says, 
in sicily of this revolution in the animate world having been effected without the intervention of any convulsion or abrupt changes certain species having from time to time died out and others having been introduced until at length the existing fauna was elaborated it had often been objected that the evidence of fossil species occurring in two consecutive formations was confined to the testacea or zoophytes the characters of which are less marked and decisive than those afforded by the vertebrate animals but mr owen has lately insisted on the important fact that not a few of the quadrupeds which now inhabit our island and among others the horse the ass the hog the smaller wild ox the goat the red deer the roe the beaver and many of the diminutive rodents are the same as those which once coexisted with the mammoth the great northern hippopotamus two kinds of rhinoceros and other mammalia long since extinct a part he observes and not the whole of the modern tertiary fauna has perished and hence we may conclude that the cause of their destruction has not been a violent and universal catastrophe from which none could escape had we discovered evidence that man had come into the earth at a period as early as that when a large number of the fossil quadrupeds now living and almost all the recent species of the land freshwater and marine shells were in existence we should have been compelled to ascribe a much higher antiquity to our species than even the boldest speculations of the ethnologist require for no small part of the great physical revolution depicted on the map of europe plate three before described took place very gradually after the recent testacea abounded almost to the exclusion of the extinct thus for example in the deposits called the northern drift or the glacial formation of europe and north america the fossil marine shells can easily be identified with species either now inhabiting the neighboring sea or living in the seas of higher latitudes yet they exhibit no memorials of the human race or of articles fabricated by the hand of man some of the newest of these strata passing by the name of raised beaches occur at moderate elevations on the coast of england scotland and ireland other examples are met with on a more extended scale in scandinavia as at the height of two hundred feet at udavala in sweden and at twice the elevation near christiana in norway also at an attitude of six or seven hundred feet in places further north they consist of beds of sand and clay filling hollows in a district of granite and gneiss and they must closely resemble the accumulations of shelly matter now in progress at the bottom of the norwegian fjords the rate at which the land is now rising in scandinavia is far too irregular in different places to afford a safe standard for estimating the minimum of time required for the upheaval of the fundamental granite and its marine shelly covering to the height of so many hundred feet but according to the greatest average of five or six feet in a century the period required would be very considerable and nearly the whole of it as well as the antecedent epoch of submergence
seems to have preceded the introduction of man into these parts of the earth. There are other post-tertiary formations of fluviatile origin in the center of Europe, in which the absence of human remains is perhaps still more striking, because when formed, they must have been surrounded by dry land. I allude to the silt, or loess, of the basin of the Rhine, which must have gradually filled up the great valley of that river, since the time when its waters and the contiguous lands were inhabited by the existing species of freshwater and terrestrial mollusks. Showers of ashes thrown out by some of the last eruptions of the Eiffel volcanoes fell during the deposition of this fluviatile silt, and were interstratified with it. But these volcanoes became exhausted. The valley was re-excavated through the silt, and again reduced to its present form before the period of human history. The study, therefore, of this shelly silt reveals to us the history of a long series of events which occurred after the testacea now living inhabited the land and rivers of Europe, and the whole terminated without any signs of the coming of man into that part of the globe. To cite a still more remarkable example, we observe in Sicily a lofty tableland and hills, sometimes rising to the height of 3,000 feet, capped with a limestone, in which from 70 to 85 percent of the fossil testacea are specifically identical with those now inhabiting the Mediterranean. These calcareous and other argillaceous strata of the same age are intersected by deep valleys, which have been gradually formed by denudation but have not varied materially in width or depth since Sicily was first colonized by the Greeks. The limestone, moreover, which is of so late a date in geological chronology, was quarried for building those ancient temples of Girgenti and Syracuse, of which the ruins carry us back to a remote era in human history. If we are lost in conjectures when speculating on the ages required to lift up these formations to the height of several thousand feet above the sea, how much more remote must be the era when the same rocks were gradually formed beneath the waters? To conclude, it appears that, in going back from the recent to the Eocene period, we are carried by many successive steps from the fauna, now contemporary with man, to an assemblage of fossil species wholly different from those now living. In this retrospect, we have not yet succeeded in tracing back a perfect transition from the recent to the extinct fauna. But there are usually so many species in common to the groups which stand next in succession as to show that there is no great chasm, no signs of a crisis when one class of organic beings were annihilated to give place suddenly to another. This analogy, therefore, derived from a period of the Earth's history, which can be best compared with the present state of things, and more thoroughly investigated than any other, leads to the conclusion that the extinction and creation of species has been, 
and is the result of a slow and gradual change in the organic world. End of section 26